Welcome to Code Together, a podcast for developers by developers, where we discuss technology and trends in industry. I'm your host, Tony Munkelsmeyer. In several of our past episodes, we have talked to various experts who work on the Aurora Project at Argonne National Laboratory. We've talked about how scientists will utilize the various capabilities of the hardware and software that Aurora provides. And today we're going to talk a little more about one of the core programming models at the heart of Aurora, Sickle. We've talked about Sickle in the past in this podcast, so we won't go too much into detail about what Sickle is. But today we'll talk a little more specifically about the benefits to Aurora's architecture using the Sickle programming language and where Sickle fits into the landscape of programming models. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by two experts, Nevin Lieber and James Reinders. Nevin is a computer scientist in the Argonne Leadership Computing Facility Division of Argonne National Laboratory, where he works on Cocos and Aurora. He also represents Argonne on the Sickle and C++ committees, the latter as the chair of the admin group, vice chair of the Library Evolution Workgroup, Study Group 18, which focuses on technologies that aren't quite ready for the Library Evolution Workgroup. And he's the vice chair of the U.S. delegation to the C++ committee. Welcome to the podcast, Nevin. Thank you. Glad to be here. We also have James Reinders, who's an engineer who has helped develop some of the world's fastest supercomputers and the software tools to program them. He has authored 10 technical books about high-performance computing. And James works to promote use of open multi-vendor solutions, including Fortran, C++, Sickle, OneAPI, OpenMP, and MPI. Nice to have you, James. It's a pleasure to be here. So today, you know, we're going to focus a little bit on Sickle and how Argonne is using Sickle. So for that, let's go to Nevin, who's our expert here. Why is Argonne and Aurora focused on using Sickle to enable the Aurora project? I mean, first off, it is our compiler vendor tool, right, from Intel. What API is based on Sickle. And what we are looking for, you know, at Argonne is we want something that is device independent because as new supercomputers show up, we need something that could be very easily ported to those new supercomputers. If we tie into one vendor's architecture, that's a much harder proposition. And so Sickle meets that bill fine. And also because, you know, we can get involved in standardization, you know, we can influence the direction it's going to take. You know, there's Sickle and the other one would be like OpenMP, but OpenMP is more C-focused, where Sickle is really C++-focused. Yeah, and James, you've had a lot of experience over the years in your career at Intel. You know, when I started Intel, you were already talking about compilers and languages and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about why you think Sickle is a nice evolution kind of on top of the things that Nevin was talking about, like the OpenMP, etc.? It fits very well into the history of these things. As Nevin said, it's critical to evolve what we're programming in into manners that are more portable and performance portable. You know, if you look back, Fortran was introduced in 1957, I think, by IBM. It was an IBM language, but it evolved into an ISO standard that we all use. OpenMP was born out of many different directives, commonly called like the Cray directives, or there were Vax had its set of directives. They did the same thing, right? And now we have a situation where there's an explosion happening of varieties of different hardware accelerators. Intel is introducing its Pana Vecchio, which will help power the Aurora system at Argonne. NVIDIA has its CUDA, AMD has its Rockham. It's a logical time to look at how can we have industry standards consolidate those so that we can all be programming the same thing. That's where Sickle and OneAPI come in. It follows a tradition in the industry of looking for 
vendor neutral solutions that are generalized a little more. And it takes time. And, you know, we should give credit to the things that come before that, that help inform us, that blaze the trails. But it is logical to want to generalize those and it solves real problems. So that's why I'm excited to be working on Sickle is I think it's creating an industry dialogue on what is the right way to really get this right so that we're not advantaging one hardware over another, but we're really trying to serve the needs of all of them, which is what the users need. And these are needs that like, you know, I don't want to say there are holes in both C and C++. These are things that those languages are not currently addressing because there's no kind of general idea of what hardware looks like in terms of heterogeneous hardware. C++ doesn't even know like two processes on the same CPU work together. Absolutely. I'm actually conservative in this manner. I don't think it's time to rush into adding those to the languages. I think that's a fool's errand. You know, OpenMP has been around a long time solving problems like this, and it's not been absorbed into C++ or C or Fortran. Maybe Sickle never gets absorbed. Maybe the concepts of remote memory or the concepts of disjoint compute units stay outside the language. I don't know. That's a good topic to discuss, but it's one that should not be rushed to casually. So Sickle plays an important role at adding that functionality into these environments like C++. Right. It gives us a playground for practical experimentation with real-world problems, not just you know some theoretical kind of thing. And yeah, if we can find, you know, very common abstractions, we can propose them for the C++ language. And make no mistake, even getting, proposing something, you know, that can take 10 or 20 years. These are hard things. It takes a long time to get put into the standard. Because once it's there, it's there forever. And, you know, in some countries, it has the force of law. You know, what's interesting there is the like, GPUs are relatively new. I mean, if we look back to what the original Voodoo processors in the late 90s, but they're still compared to what you were talking about with Fortran in 1957, they're still kind of in their infancy. And it's really interesting because now we have other different types of accelerators. Now we look at like the matrix multiplies for AI workloads versus just GPUs, which are a straight kind of vector shader originally for graphics processing. It is interesting to consider, will Sickle be able to handle the growth of different types of accelerators? And then why is Sickle a better method to do that than C++ or some other core language. You guys touched on that a little bit, but it is an interesting thought experiment to see kind of where should we be thinking it's going to go? And is Sickle a good way to enable this? I think it is because, I mean, we can really cover things like FPGAs, right? And we're still relatively young, so we can shift things in whatever direction as hardware shifts. And you know, C++ is not relatively young, right? It's been around, what, early 80s? can't remember. <laughs> I, mean, I started using it, you know, since the 80s, but yeah. Yeah, finally standardized C++ in, in 99, I think. 98 was the first standard, but yeah, it, it had been coming out of Bell Labs in the 80s. Oh, yeah. Uh, Apple just started using it like the late 80s for its OS. Yep. I'm an ex-Apple employee who was at Apple in the 90s. So yeah, I remember C++ there as well. I like to think of Sickle as very foundational. And so I agree with Nevin. I think it's sufficient or it's designed well to stretch across hardware, but it's also very much in the vogue of how C does that. It gives you access to programming very efficiently. So when you write very efficient programs, your programs may look a little different on different hardware. I certainly don't think there'll be very many kernels you write exactly the same way to run on an FPGA versus a GPU. You can code both in Sickle, and Sickle will allow you to pick the different algorithms, but 
you may find a different algorithm is going to work better on an FPGA than a GPU or a CPU. And so Sickle gives you the foundation to do that. What I think is really interesting is you can build abstractions on top of that that are a little more domain specific and may do a better job of stretching across different hardware. But somewhere in your software stack, there has to be software that allows you to get the best out of each piece of hardware, no matter what it takes. And Sickle gives you that capability and you can build libraries on top of that. You can build other systems on top of that. You know, TensorFlow and PyTorch might be examples of where they can be a little more abstract and can sit on top of something like Sickle to solve their needs at that foundational level. As well as Sickle will give you portability. I mean, the first thing when going to new hardware is, you know, you want your code to run correctly to start with, even before you start trying to optimize it for new hardware. And, you know, if you can't accomplish that, then it's a lot more work. <laughs> so a lot of people, when they talk about Sickle or they hear about Sickle, they talk about Sickle being a different language than C++, which as somebody at Intel who works on kind of evangelizing one API, we very often talk about how Sickle is not a different language than C++. But since you guys are the experts and you guys actually work on this stuff day to day, can you guys kind of talk about how you think about Sickle and how it relates to C++? Well, so far, it really is one of our design constraints for Sickle is that it's, for the most part, you know, straight C++ code. I mean, sometimes that's involved things like hacks, like, you know, naming kernels have that weird parallel for angle bracket, you know, it's a class name, which is weird. And like, when I first saw that, I had to look up like, I guess, I mean, it was valid C++. It was like for declaring a local class, which was weird, but that is one of our, you know, internal design constraints. That being said, if we need to make changes, you know, to the language, I think we will, but they would have to be very carefully considered because we don't really want a brand new language. We want something that, you know, eventually we can take pieces of and propose for C++ proper. Sometimes I'm amused by the question because I have friends and colleagues that will debate whether OpenMP is a language or not. And I don't think so. I think Sickle is a programming model, but I understand people who suddenly want to label everything a language. I just don't think it's that useful. I think it's very important to see, as Nevin was saying, Sickle is extremely aligned with C++. It doesn't try to invent anything new that C++ does. It tries to build on C++. It gives us a capability to find devices, to share data with remote memories, to offload. All concepts that C++ doesn't currently have any concept of. So SQL is not trying to modify a language. It's adding in the finest tradition you know, of template libraries, except with a little bit of magic mixed in. So I don't think of SQL as a different language because I think of C++ as the language. But, you know, if you will, it's a programming model that you need to learn in addition to C++, but it's really oriented towards solving parallel programming, distributed parallel programming problems, not basic language problems. And a lot of it can be provided by, you know, just a sickle library, although we do better when it is provided as an, you know, an actual like part of a compiler. That may be where people get mixed up, right? Because, you know, it typically gets provided as part of a tool chain. So they don't see it as a library, even though you know, our design behind Sickle is, yeah, we should be able to do it as a library. I think most of our listeners have probably heard James talk. I think James has been on this podcast before I started hosting it. And Nevin, I don't know if our guests would have known kind of what you're working on. Can you give us a little history of how you got involved in C++ and Sickle? 
And what are you doing day to day with Aurora, right? A lot of our listeners listening to this series around Aurora are interested in what are people doing in Aurora at Argonne? Can you talk a little bit about that? So I got introduced to C++ in the 80s. I was working at Bell Labs. A friend of mine from Apple gives me a call. It's like, what do you know about C++? You guys invented it. And that was enough to get me interested. So I was a very shy engineer in the 80s. I found the person who had a tape of C++. And I went to his office. Turns out that person was Jim Copeland. Started doing C++. And I eventually came up with a question he couldn't answer. At the time, for loops, we declare a variable inside a for loop that went past the end of the closing brace of the for loop. Um, its scope was the end. And he didn't know why. So I spent two days, you know, sweating over an email to send to Bjarne Strostrup. <laughs> she was very nice, gave me a very nice answer of why it was basically at the time backwards compatibility, although that eventually did get fixed. <laughs> and so that's how, you know, I got involved with C++ and I've been doing it mostly ever since. I took a little divergence doing mom stuff, which I wasn't very happy with. And the way I got involved with standardization is I went to the first BoostCon and met late Beeman Dawes, one of the founders of Boost. And he goes, hey, from Illinois, we're having a meeting at Fermilab in three years. And like, you know, I could have said, wait, wait, I have a job. I can go to a meeting before that. But, you know, it's imposter syndrome, right? I'm scared to go, right? Because all these book authors and, you know, luminaries. And I go to the meeting in Fermilab and come back to my company and say, hey, we should join. They go, you're right, we should. We did. And then I said, I should go to the next meeting, which is in Madrid. It was like kind of my first overseas trip since I was 12. And went to that. And I came back and said, we should sponsor a meeting. And that took about a week and a half. And they said, that sounds like a good idea. So we sponsored the C++ meeting in Chicago in 2013 and the C meeting for that matter. And then uh, news went from Argonne and they hired me in 2019. And so I joined Argonne then. And that's when Aurora and Sickle were starting up. So it's like, we should get involved with Sickle standardization as well as, you know, C++ standardization. And that's how I joined the Kronos group in like 2019. So, you know, my main project is working on Cocos, which is a performance portability library. And the big question that comes up a lot is what's the difference between Cocos and Sickle, right? And Sickle for us is a tool that, you know, vendors give us. And Cocos must be a pure library. We don't want to get into the, you know, tool business because across a whole bunch of supercomputers, across the Department of Energy Labs, I mean, we don't have the budget for that and the manpower for that. So that's kind of the main difference between the two. And I work on Cocos, both you know, Sickle and Aurora specific stuff, as well as this kind of general stuff. Right now, I've been working on like things like article parallelism, deduction guides, because the next release of Cocos is going to be based on C17, and we can make things a lot easier with deduction guides, as Intel did with Sickle, right, for Sickle 2020. I mean, it really makes the user experience much better because there's a bunch of template parameters that users may not care about, and they're just sometimes hard to specify and they don't need to you know in c++ we kind of give trivial examples of like you know using vector passing ints that doesn't really help that much but in some of the template types we have in things like sickle and cocos it helps immensely you know cocos has i mean you could tell us a little better than i can has helped inform some things that have affected c++ and sickle yes the two big ones we've had like atomic ref came out of the cocos group and for c++ 23 md span and these are fantastic because they've gotten real world usage. Coco's implemented them. You've got real applications using them. When things like that make it to standards, they're my favorite things to get put in standards because they're proven, they vetted, you've worked on different hardware with them. They truly represent the sort of things that when they make it into the standard are likely to hold up and be used for a long time. 
you know, when I say it came from the Cocos Group, that's how it started. But we try to be very encompassing. You know, people who are interested, get them on board, get them as paper authors involved with this. And I also think things like MD span are also affecting the design of Sickle. Like, for instance, you know, being able to change the layout. We're looking at that right now for Sickle Next. You know, how do we integrate MD span and how do we integrate some of the concepts behind MD span into, you know, making Sickle more general? I mean, Sickle's roots are in graphics, right? OpenCL. There's three-dimensional limits, you know, we're trying to get rid of and just things like layout, you know, which matter to high-performance computing. Yeah, so out of that, I think there's actually two interesting questions that kind of come out of what you guys were just talking about. The first one is something that probably is more commonly what many people would think of, which is, okay, you're saying Cocos is a library. SQL is kind of a tool chain. When would I use one over the other? I mean, it may depend on what your portability needs are. For Department of Energy, our portability needs are, we know there's going to be a new supercomputer. You know, every lab, when it's their time, we'll get a new supercomputer, very likely from a different vendor. So for our use case, right, we don't know that we would get Sickle from other vendors. We're hoping to, you know, we're certainly going to be pushing them to do so. And so that, you know, the balance of, you know, what you write your fundamental code in may change over time. And if you fast forward a bit, just to ask a good question, let's just say for sake of argument, everyone adopts Sickle. 10 years from now, Sickle is what every vendor supports. Cocos still has a meaningful place. In fact, Cocos gets simplified by having one back in, but Cocos still serves a purpose. Maybe you could describe how you think about that. Because what you're saying right now is it's absolutely critical because every vendor is giving you a different back end to use. But even if we consolidate those back ends, Cocos is still very important. Right. I mean, it's still a common library and it still has, you know, the very common abstractions in it. It's why we've been able to add things to the C standard. And there's more stuff we want to add to the C standard that comes out of Cocos. And it's been a very good place where experimenting but basically anything that needs to be pure library kind of things to the standard. And where there's deficiency, right? We're all seeing, you know, where there's deficiencies like C doesn't support restrict. And, you know, we know that's a deficiency. We've given away in Cocos and there's ways in Sickle to add that kind of thing. But we also need to figure out, like, how do we change C++ to do it? And I mean, there's certainly issues with it, right? I mean, people kind of want generalized restrict, which, you know, your, your object has pointers underneath it. That's really hard, you know, generally to say in something like C++ versus C, where we know all the fundamental types. We know all the types, basically. Yeah. And then the other question that kind of came out of what you guys were talking about is you mentioned Sickle Next. It's a very abstract term. Can you talk a little bit about what's going into Sickle Next and why you're excited about it? It's the next evolution, right? We don't have a committed ship date yet, so we don't have a date for it. But we want things like MD span. And, you know, so Sickle 2020 is based on C17. What should Sickle Next be based on, right? It could be C20, it could be 23, right? So the one language feature we got in C for MD span is we have a variadic operator square bracket which would be very nice to have right in the next version of Sickle as well for MD span and, and accessors and a bunch of things. But if we require that, then we have to say 23 is our base. And if we don't require it, we're going to have to very likely support operator parentheses, right? The function call operator as the only other variadic way of doing this, roughly the same looking kind of syntax. So it's what the next version is, right? How do we get rid of some of the three-dimensional limits we have? Complex number support is going to be added to it. Yeah, what you hear is you hear a lot of concern about C++. And that's very genuine with Sickle. Aligning with C++ so forth is absolutely critical. It's a very valuable feature of Sickle. So yes, with C++ evolving, a key question before the Sickle committee is how does Sickle evolve with that? 
And I think the MD span thing is very fascinating because while you know Sickle and OpenCL and others have this tradition of being limited to three dimensions, it seems obvious. Wow, why don't you fix that? Why don't you give us more? Well, it's a little more complicated than that because we want to do it with performance, and that creates interesting discussions. <laughs> yeah, because we can make it very adequate. Right? That's not that hard. But how do we do that and give you performance? And you know, is <laughs> a much harder question. That's what gives the committee, you know, things to discuss and extremely valuable to get real user feedback and so forth, because, you know, it's critical that this stays aligned with C++, stays efficient. And those two have some challenges when you try to map it onto diverse hardware. In some sense, it's early day, right? You know, we just had our face-to-face meeting last month and, you know, we've really just started discussing what we want in the next version of Sickle. So what do you guys see as the long-term goal of what Sickle is enabling, where should Sickle be focusing its efforts versus, you know, you kind of talked about C++ obviously and C++ being a long time standard where it's going to focus its efforts. Sometimes it seems like they go together, right? You're talking about MD span existing in both places and being really needed in both places. But where do you think Sickle needs to go, which is different from where C++ needs to go? I think we still need to experiment with different kinds of accelerators. And, you know, I don't know what the hardware landscape in five or 10 years is going to look like. And C++ will not standardize things unless, you know, it's pretty sure that's the direction things are going to go in. So and it's kind of a blurry line, right? You know, we want more th- concepts from Sickle put into C++. Not only it makes our job easier, but it makes it ubiquitous, right? I mean, why we want MD span is that is what we call a vocabulary type, right? A type that's used across domains that everybody can say, this is the interface. Because we have our own, then we have to have, you know, ways to convert between our interface and say the C++ interface. And we'd rather not do that, right? That might cost you performance. It certainly has cognitive load on developers trying to figure out well, what interface do I have to support? And they're hard questions. Like there's times we put things in namespace sickle that might exist in the standard. Or they exist in a future standard. The question is, are they the same type or different types? And those are hard trade-offs to make. Now, my biggest hope for Stickle is that you know, we navigate this difficult thing Nevin was talking about, which is always giving high performance access to whatever hardware. And you know, we've entered this so-called new golden age of computer architecture. And we're going to see unbelievable explosion. We're going to continue to see explosion in different hardware. There's a lot of factors involved, not least of which is the ability now to hook different chiplets together means that the barrier to entry for new innovative hardware, in a sense, is lower. Someone can come up with an innovative accelerator and have it attached to someone else's processor as a matter of course. Very similar to what we used to do by having accelerator cards plugged into PCIe slots, but you know, at a different level. So I hope Sickle continues to give us the opportunity to navigate that and support all hardware. So Sickle is very foundational that way. It's difficult to figure out exactly where hardware is going. A lot of accelerators now support unified shared memory in one way or another, or they're rushing to support that. So C++ doesn't understand disjoint memories, and maybe it never should. Sickle does. You could debate whether we should only focus on hardware that supports USM in 10 years or not. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what innovations will happen, but I hope Sickle continues to navigate 
you know, full performing access to any hardware out there as a foundation that we can build on. Because if it fails at that, then we've got a problem. Then do we need to invent more techniques and so on? So I think Sickle's up to that task. And that's what I hope to continue to see with it. I mean, yeah, it's very hard to predict the future, right? Where hardware is going to go. I mean, I remember, you know, when GPUs first came out, right? And then before I got a few jobs before, I was working at um, a trading firm where we were using GPUs for, you know, Black-Scholes models with some very clunky tools because when they envisioned GPUs, they really weren't seeing, you know, kind of generalized processing. It was graphic processing. And then some very clever people go, oh, we have problems that kind of fit this and we can use this as an accelerator. And that also kind of sways, you know, where hardware goes as we come up with new problems to solve. I believe 10 years ago that we were reaching a point where there was a good argument to be made GPUs weren't going to continue to be that critical. And then AI, deep learning happened. And oh my gosh, I'd spent my whole career worrying about math precision and larger precision. And suddenly you have algorithms that can thrive on low precision, <laughs> the opposite direction where we're driving. And yes, that's had a profound impact on the hardware that's needed for these systems. You know, definitely affected Aurora's design, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> People love to report on, oh, when's Aurora going to happen or this or that. Every supercomputer has this challenge. You're going to build it at some point, does it in needs of applications? And things have gotten a lot more dynamic, especially with the introduction of AI as to what an excellent machine needs to deliver. Yeah, that's AI. Machine learning is another, you know, big related but different field than AI itself. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I use AI a little too extensively. There's a very specific set of algorithms that are driving, you know, this explosion right now. And who knows what the next set of algorithms will be and it will affect hardware profoundly. So oh, yeah. if Sickle can keep maintaining its status of giving us access to that, it gives us a quick way to on ramp you know, new hardware and explore it. I think that's probably close to the end of our time today. Are there links or references you guys think would be useful to our listeners? Well, if you want to learn more about Sickle, lots of resources available at sickle.tech, T-E-C-H, you know, link to a book about it, link to tutorials, online materials, and so forth. If you want to dig in a little bit more, that's a great place to go to learn more about Sickle. And we're very open to ideas for new versions of Sickle, right? So there's, you know, things we're not addressing, let us know. You may not agree with the solutions we come up with, but... <laughs> it's the state of technology in yeah. the world today. Right? <laughs> yeah, I can't encourage people too much to engage. Nevin was talking about experiences early in his career, which are similar to mine of being timid about, oh my gosh, these luminaries, people have written these books or are working on these supercomputers. You know, they're kind of scary, aren't they? And it turns out that they're... Maybe I shouldn't call them sweethearts, but I'll tell you that the best people I've met in the entire world are these luminaries, you know, people who've won Nobel Prizes, people who have changed the world, like Kennedy and Patterson or Jock Dungara and Nevin, you know, people who are really on the forefront. Engage. You'll find this is a great community of brilliant people who are more than happy to engage in honest dialogue about, you know, how do we solve these tough problems? Because we do it together. Yes, they're very hard problems. And you know what I've learned on both the C++ community and the Chrono Sigil committee is that like I certainly don't have all the answers. People come up with questions that I hadn't thought about at all, right? It makes me a better engineer and you know hopefully I'm contributing back as well. But you know, we need that to make things better. That kind of dialogue. Oh, well there you go. So there's our call to action everybody get excited about it and figure out a way to contribute. 
And hopefully you can either find us through the sickle.tech website. There's also the oneapi.io website. And you can, you know, hear about these types of things from Nevin and James at places like Supercomputing, which we just had where they were talking. So with that, we'll end our podcast today. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in. And we'll be back next time with more Tech Talk.